I think the people of this country have had enough of experts. The science If you count the legal votes, I easily win. It is time to get bricks down. This candle smells like my vagina. It's supposed to be so here. I should be back in the what the fuck is going on? Part of the Acast Creator Network. Hello, I'm Mark Steele. Welcome to my podcast, where each week I ask the question, oh, what the fuck is going on? What the fuck is going on? British business is free of interference at last. For so long, our companies were held back by petty regulations, often from Europe, but now that's in the past, and they are finally allowed to pour human sewage into the sea. Instead of going through the palaver of disposing with our waste in complicated ways, it was revealed this week that water companies have been flinging it into the seaside and the government's voted to let them carry on. So now our children can enjoy watching pretty shapes float about while they're paddling. See, in Tudor times, we were encouraged to chuck our waste into the street, but then do-gooding boffins brought in one rule after another and before long we weren't even allowed to poke our arse out of our own windows and shit onto the pavement. See, that was the trouble with the 16th century, full of health and safety gone mad. But now, the government has voted to allow our water companies to pump our great British turds into the water to boost our seaside towns. Imagine the joy as parents call out to their kids, grab your bucket and spade, we're going to Scarborough to make some poo castles. Oh, can we have a go on the log flume, Mum? Of course. Oh, and the seaside towns can embrace all this. You could get tourist adverts saying, come to Blackpool for a splash in our brown pool. South End. Home of Britain's longest turd. Ride on a train that goes right to the end. And other ones might be more sophisticated. Margate. Destinations for artists. Our many shades of brown have attracted Britain's finest creative talents, such as Tracy Emin, for centuries. J.W. Turner said, The turds in Thanet are the loveliest in all Europe. See, when I was a kid, if there was one turd in the swimming pool, everyone had to get out and it would be closed down for a month while they cleaned it. But if the water companies were running swimming pools, there'd just be an announcement going, Keep swimming, everybody! And there'd be a klaxon like when the wave machine's about to start, only it'd mean there's another two tonnes of sewage about to be dumped in the shallow end. Oh, it's starting! <laughs> now, the water companies wouldn't have been allowed to act like this if we were still tied to the EU. In 2018, Michael Gove promised a green Brexit, and now he'll say that he's been true to his word because you can't get more organic than human-shaped. Ministers reassured us that an amendment to the law will reverse adverse impacts, but let's hope that they can keep all the positive impacts of human effluence plopping in front of us while we're swimming. Now, maybe one measure that they could look at is that if our beaches are to become toilets, we should divide them into gents and ladies' beaches, and then Torquay and Bournemouth can be gender neutral so as not to discriminate against the trans community. I expect the water companies will say they've taken responsibility for all the smells by chucking a couple of little blue things that you get in public urinals into the North Sea, and that should clear it up. But the reason that all this is possible is that the priority of the water companies is not the outdated, miserable business of providing water. Instead, they can concentrate on the more exciting task of providing a profit for their shareholders. 
Since they were privatised, they paid out £57 billion in profits. So with all that to think about, you can't blame them for not having the time to stop poo bouncing into the sea. The highest paid executive at Seven Trent Water was given a salary package of £2.4 million in a year. And to be fair, it is possible that he was on a turd bonus. So he was getting maybe an extra 10 quid for every turd that bobbled up in Clevedon. Because life cannot survive without water companies' shareholders' dividends. See, scientists now believe that some simple forms of life may have been possible on Mars because they have found traces there of a £1.2 million bonus to a CEO. It's also why, when there's a drought in somewhere like Somalia, you get these powerful adverts that show dehydrated children with Joanna Lumley going, Please, please don't turn away. This child will not survive unless we can find another billion pounds to give to the shareholders of Thames Water. So we should be thrilled that our water is in such safe hands because from the earliest of times the planet has depended on one commodity above all else which is shareholders dividends and these companies are working selflessly day and night to keep this precious resource fresh and plentiful. Water on the other hand don't really matter very much so we might as well stick a million tons of feces into it and sling it into the sea. Oh, I'll be going to Whitby this weekend where Dracula was written for the festival of goths that takes place every Halloween. Uh, Halloween was never really important when I was growing up. Now it's almost as big as Christmas. And I'm not sure I know enough about stuff like vampires. But luckily we have with us someone who is an expert on the subject, George Galloway. Let me put it to you, Count Dracula. The cowardly manner in which your adversaries seek to demean your historic achievements serve only to illustrate the fragile state of their own deceitful values. Your defiance in the face of a multitude of foes, including sunlight, garlic, running water and interfering charlatan religious rectors who threaten the eradication of your esteemed people with stakes through the heart should be heralded as a pinnacle of humanity or indeed of the undead. Your heroic insistence on pursuing your traditional diet of blood rather than succumbing to the cultural imperialism that would have you consume foods such as bacon, mortizas, taramasalata and Iceland lemon cheesecake displays a noble self-determination which I wholeheartedly salute. That, Count Dracula, if that is indeed your real name, is why I will be celebrating your ghoulish magnificence by knocking on every door in my street in the quest for sugary snacks. I especially hope that I get some of those chewy sneak things. What the fuck is going on? Now, it is completely impossible to work out what the fuck is going on in this world if you're on your own, unless you're part of a collaboration like the Oppenheimer Project. <laughs> and so, I am utterly honoured and flattered to have with me to help out Mr. Miles Jupp. A man of so many talents, not sure which one to say first. So I shall say amateur cricketer. Miles <laughs> Thank Jupp. you very much. Now, we have loads of current issues to discuss. One of which I think must be right up your street. 
I don't understand all the fishing rights thing, right? I'm not going to ask you to discuss what forms you need <laughs> to fill in to import trout. The, uh, no, so we seem to be heading for a war with France. Now, I'm not going to talk about the fishing thing, but generally, shouldn't we be at war with France? We all, historically, Britain has been at war with France. It does seem a bit odd, doesn't it, that so much of our fighting goes on against countries that are a long, long way again, and I don't think that sort of fits in with the kind of whole sort of shop local vibe i think it makes a lot more sense really to to fight with just environmentally to fight with near neighbors i know and maybe this is one of the things that's going to come out of cop 26 could people stop fighting with people that are so far away the fuel costs are absolutely ridiculous it's all saying oh well you know we do a lot of it by drone it's all remote just fight with your near neighbours. It makes literally no sense. You know, by all means, go to war. We've got to future save the planet at the same time. So that, well, That's you can get very, the ferry there, you can point. get the Eurostar there. Yeah. And also you get, and they're quite hard to find like in supermarkets, but the sort of smaller cans of Heineken that they sell on the train to France. <laughs> absolutely excellent. You can get a giant Toblerone in the shop when you're waiting to leave after we vanquish them when we're waiting back at uh, the Gardenor. So I think, you know, there's a lot to be said for it. Oh, yes. I mean, Waterloo was a right old fuss back in those days, wasn't it? <laughs> what a palaver all that was. These days, he could have just got an Uber back to Brussels. Yeah, well, because the app works anywhere. So it's absolutely great, isn't it? You don't need to sort of faff around and go, oh, yeah. what's your equivalent of Uber here? <laughs> or, you know, I mean, thank, thank heavens, as I often hear you cry, for the multinational corporations because it means you don't have to up, you don't have to upgrade your software yeah yeah exactly and then they could all come out the duke of wellington could be back in the afternoon giving a speech to the house the thing is yeah from that point of view it's about reducing environmental impact from a sort of transport thing so of course yes you could fight with near neighbors civil war of course involves even less travel and as the hard yeah. left have taught us just infighting you don't have to go anywhere you're just screaming at each other across a table <laughs> Yes, yes, exactly. I think this is... Well, let's hope that this comes out of COP26. Maybe they could start by marching up the road to Edinburgh and launching a war against them. Yeah, from Glasgow to Edinburgh. Yes, exactly. Yes, the Battle of the M8. Yes, the day we captured Heart Hill Services. Uh, was (laughs) the day we really knew they'd fallen. Yeah, Yeah, well, this is a marvellous, marvellous environmental idea. But that's the environmental aspect of it. In terms of actual war, you'd think, well, you can go two ways, can't you? You can either think, please, let's not. Or I know that some situations are known in diplomatic circles as a kind of, well, why not sort of scenario. And maybe this is one of them. You know, it's a sort of what's the worst that can happen. But I don't know what the worst is that can happen. But one often says that about things. You say, oh, well, what's the worst that can happen? It's actually a way of saying, I don't know what will happen if I do this. But it just it's a sort of better framing of it. It's all about optics. Napoleon's strategy was, you know, they said, well, what's going to happen? He said, well, we engage and then we see. Yeah, exactly. You can't really judge a war until I think both sides have batted. And that's the way, <laughs> that's ultimately <laughs> what it comes down to. Oh, wouldn't it be pretty? No, the cricket rule should be in charge of war. So instead of them both going at the same time, you couldn't have a cricket match like that with both teams batting yeah, at exactly. the same it's time. Yeah, exactly, it's crazy. One side goes in, yeah. levels whatever they can, destroys as many buildings as they yeah. can. The other side have evacuated in advance, and now it's your turn, and we'll just measure it's really about just sort of acreage, really, in terms of damage. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you get two innings. Oh, yeah, yeah. Because these days you'd end up with a bloody short one, wouldn't you? Who can do the worst in 100 minutes and that sort of thing? Well, this leads to another subject, which uh, I don't know if you have any interest, but there is a marvellous story that I've only vaguely looked at. There was a couple in Spain and they went out to a restaurant and they nicked a bottle of wine worth £200,000. Just put it in their coat and ran off with it. This is sort of upmarket 
theft that you'd be a fan of? Yeah, kind of heist. Had the court been taken out? I mean, had they ordered it to their table and then gone off without paying effectively? No, no, no they no. just took it off the wall, I think, or went into the cellar. One of them sort of said, oh, you order the dessert and keep everybody distracted. I'll wander down into the cellar and take a £200,000 bottle of wine. I suppose that's what you do, isn't it? If they planned it properly, they say, you need to order the so-and-so because it says on the menu, I looked it up online, it says it takes 30 minutes. So if you don't order in advance, you've got to wait 30 minutes. That'll keep them busy in the kitchen. Then we'll nip down. Second on the left. Yeah, 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 if it's a planned heist, there's something... I mean, there's a sort of romance about a heist, isn't there? I don't know, maybe it's a bit more spontaneous and they found themselves stuck in a well, what's the worst that can happen? Is the punishment for a crime and that sort, is the value of what you've stolen taken into account at all? If I go and nick, like, a fistful of Kinder Buenos because I just need people to calm down and listen to me and I need something. If I go and nick a fistful of Kinder Buenos, is the sentence that I would rightly face, would it be shorter than someone that, had, I don't know, been fixing the label rate or whatever? Is it to do with how much you steal? Well, it's not. It won't be proportionate. Like, if you was to steal a lump of cheese and get done for shoplifting and go to jail, yeah. then it wouldn't be proportionate because let's say you got a week in jail yeah. for that. Then for a £200,000 bottle of wine, what's that? That's 50,000 times more expenses. You have to do 50,000 weeks. Yes, I would describe even a very valuable bottle of wine. I don't think that's the sort of thing that we should be pushing for life sentences for. That seems a little harsh. But I I do wonder if it's what you do with something that's that valuable. It's rare. You know, when people steal very famous paintings, they can't do anything with it. You can't sort of go to Portobello Market and whatever and say, look, whatever you can for it, as long as it's cash. Oh, where I come from, they would, Miles. In Swanley. (laughs) If they'd have nicked the Mona Lisa, they'd have gone down to Sidcup, gone into a pub and gone, oh, I've got a picture here. Who give us a 10 quid for it? That reminds me, it was actually, it was in Swanley where I bought um, Dejeuner sur la Herbe that we now have uh, hanging in our, <laughs> our sitting room <laughs> but it's so it's used as collateral you can only it's valued for by criminal gangs so that's who steals sort of very valuable paintings and things and you're like well what can you give us as a trust or i can give you you know van Gogh, you know sunflowers or whatever it might be i sort of love i love an art heist that must be very annoying if you work at a gallery but as a sort of thing to be planned it's not you know you can't call any crime a victimless crime but there's a sort of you know something that's involved someone going great news i've got a blueprint of where the lasers are or whatever you think oh that's exciting we need yes, to make yes. sure the member of <laughs> this room needs to be stormed by whichever member of our gang has the most supple knees you know and that sort of thing because that, that one really is quite low <laughs> or you can step over it so let's get big john he's six foot eight he can <laughs> get one foot over the other yeah the film of it's not going to be ray winston just going Going, I'm just going to barge in there and take the thing off Remember, the fucking wall. Steal art responsibly. <laughs> <laughs> now, Miles, the last thing we should discuss, it's Halloween round about the time that this is going out. You have several hundred children. They're, thereabouts. Is Halloween a really big thing now for them? Because it wasn't when I was growing up. It was like St Swithin's Day or something. It was barely meant anything. <laughs> well, it's kind of drifted over, hasn't it? Like, you know how all the kids are playing basketball these days and that sort of thing, graduating from Yale. It's one of these yeah. things that's sort of drifted over from, well, partly from America, yeah. but also in Scotland it's really popular and always has been. So I've just been working mm. up in Glasgow. Which it's, called, it's called Guising in Scotland. And that, there it's a really big thing. So perhaps it's also drifted south it's just the doorbell ringing a lot isn't it i've been cheeky I've, mark olver is interviewing me about my um novel on the night of halloween so i won't be in when the doorbell is ringing relentlessly and 
my wife is having to hurl sort of drumsticks and things like that. Um, you know, the, the sweets, not the... Um, <laughs> we don't mind being trick-or-treated, but we like to prepare proper home-cooked food. Uh, so people say trick-or-treat. Oh, it's a treat. This is uh, slow-cooked lamb. Uh, now, what we've done with this, we went to the man, we bought a shoulder of it, and uh, we just... Little incisions, a little bit of anchovy, a bit of rosemary, but we put it in the bottom oven. That's done 12 hours. You won't need cutlery because, it just, honestly, it just falls off the bone. And uh, we've got plates. Now, they're recycled paper plates, so I don't want you walking the streets eating this beautiful slow-cooked lamb, feeling guilty about the environmental impact. Uh, it's an electric oven, by the way, and we get sustainable <laughs> stuff. So that's what you've got. We've also got some vegetarian food. If you're vegetarian, we've got a lovely... No, that, no, like, I don't know, who makes them? The drumstick lollipops or whatever. So Rachel will have to be... She'll be, unfortunately, having to sort of hurl pounds and pounds of sweets out of the front door while I'm... <laughs> sitting in an armchair going something, oh gosh, it's an absolute struggle, Mark, it really is, but you just have to keep reaching within and finding what you've got. It's, a, you know, it's all about going to the well, uh, or whatever I will say in response to your questions. So I'm broadly opposed to it. That's my answer. That is the most perfect answer. In fact, I'm more opposed to that than I am war with France. I just think that will involve fewer people hammering the doorbell. That's really, I don't want to be selfish about it. Miles, you have a book out, as you oh, yeah. mentioned. So, I think we should alert the fight people as to uh, to what the book is. I do, yeah. Oh, it's a novel called History, which is about, set in the late 90s, it's about a um, an increasingly depressed teacher who works in a school in a sort of small market town. And it all it all starts to pile up, I suppose, the, uh, the demands and stuff. And so things are getting a bit tricky at home. Things are getting a bit tricky at work. Uh, but I put jokes in as well, because at one point the editor described my... I'd sort of sent a beat by beat of the storyline, and he says, that's relentlessly bleak, to be honest. <laughs> and I said... Um, well, I put jokes in as well. And he went, no, yeah, OK. So when you say the jokes, does the sort of plot yeah. happen and then there's one page with none of the plot on it and it just goes, doctor, doctor, <laughs> I feel like a billiard ball, get to the end of the queue, and then you turn over and then it just carries on with the story. It's an unusual format. <laughs> the blood was still warm as Clive pushed the knife into his pocket and made a hurried escape from the market square. Doctor, doctor, I feel like a pair of curtains. Yes, it's, it's that sort of thing, yeah. No, I mean, it's just there's sort of comic set pieces. Well, what I hope are comic. Right. Thank you so much for explaining to us comprehensively what is and ever has the fuck gone on, if that's grammatically <laughs> correct. Mr. Miles Jupp. Thank you. Now, it's impossible to know what the fuck is going on unless you listen to all sorts of different opinions. And we're very lucky to have with us someone who is the master of gently teasing out opinions, talk show host, Mike Concrete. So, we've got with us uh, Tom Ridley. God help us. He's from the Royal Society for the Protection of Birds, if you can believe it. Uh, come on in, what have you got to say for yourself? Um, well, you asked me on to talk about preserving the falcon population. And I suppose you want the taxpayer to buy them new feathers, is that it? Not really, we're, we're funded by contributions from very generous members of the public. You eat chicken? Sorry? You heard. Do you eat chicken? I mean, we're expected to believe you want to protect birds, but I bet you eat chicken. They're birds. Well, I don't actually, I'm vegetarian, but the point is that we've got to... You might be vegetarian... But I bet you eat turkey at Christmas. No, I'm, I'm vegetarian. What about rice? Rice? Yeah, what about rice? I bet you eat rice. You also always do. Yeah, I eat rice. Oh, so it's all right to eat some birds but not others, is that it? Just because rice isn't a pretty bird with a colourful beak, you're not interested. Rice isn't a bird. Yes, it is. 
See ya, Tom. That's enough of that, idiot. Is it any wonder there's no petrol? Here's Sir Ian Botham with the travel. conversation that I seem to have with people who are under 35 more than any other goes something like oh, I'm trying to find a room at the moment uh there's one that I looked out it doesn't seem too bad it's 800 pounds a month and I go 800 pounds for a room and they go well it's not my own room I have to share it what you have to share your room with another person it's 800 pounds a month no it's not another person uh, I have to share it with a bear that's why it's so cheap. Or someone will say, I found a place, but I'm, I'm lucky really because it's only available because the last five tenants got murdered right outside the door because the flat above's a crack den. Still, it's only £750 a month, so I'd be mad not to take it. Or they say, oh God, I've got to move out of where I'm staying. There's mould across all the walls and there's rhubarb growing out of it and now the damp's so bad there's an infestation of haddock behind the settee and I can't get hold of the landlord because he's on holiday in Dubai for nine years but if anybody suggests any sort of controls on rent charges the government and newspapers go berserk and you get statements from landlords such as if we're only allowed to charge 60% of the average wage for one room with modern extras such as creative damp with radishes growing out of the light fittings it's not worth the hassle of collecting the money which means the landlord will have no choice but to sell the property or convert it into a ski slope as this will be more profitable. The policy director of the Residential Landlords Association, David Smith said, Rent controls would be a disaster for tenants. History has proved that they stifle investment and reduce supply. And history does prove this, I suppose, because humans never bother to provide shelter for anybody unless they're going to make a huge profit out of it. Cavemen didn't exist for the first million years of human existence because people would look at the cave and not bother to move inside as no one was charging them rent for it. So they'd stay outside and get eaten by wolves until one kind person decided that they would take no part anymore in hunting or gathering and instead would charge everybody £700 a week for living in a corner of the cave that was particularly dark and never give anybody their deposit back because they'd done painting over the walls. So the argument is that making them charge less rent would be a disaster for tenants. So it's kind of the landlords really to campaign like this on behalf of their tenants. Otherwise, millions of tenants would go, oh no, can't believe it. The rent's gone down. Again, how are we going to cope? I mean, it, it went down last month as well. It's just one thing after another. It's especially kind of the landlord when you consider how hard the landlord has to work at owning property. They never get a moment off. They even have to carry on owning it when they're sick. It's just own, 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 own with barely a moment of gratitude. See, we rely for housing on the selfless landlord. So to help solve the housing shortage, you should give your landlord more than he charges. If you've got a few hours free that you are going to use for leisure activities such as sleeping, give out pizza leaflets and donate the money you earn to the landlord as this will give him extra incentive to own property. So he'll be in a better position to help the tenants he feels sorry for. 
Housing charity Shelter says... Britain has one of the least regulated rent sectors the world has ever seen. And then, because the rents are so high, lots of tenants have to get some of this paid by housing benefit. According to one report... If every housing benefit claimant in London who lived in the private rented sector lived in a council home instead, there would be a saving of £938 million in housing benefit. £938 million! This is taxpayers' money that goes straight to the landlords. The Conservatives will be furious when they find out that all this money is being swiped like this in handouts. There used to be millions of council houses and flats, but they got sold off from the 1980s onwards. And this was supposed to be all exciting because lots of people who wouldn't have been able to buy anywhere could now buy their own council flat. But now over 40% of the housing that was sold by councils is rented out again, but now by private landlords. So we're back where we were, except they rent it out for £800 a month for one room. So, as the system is working so well, we should arrange a similar method for every part of the economy. 90% of the country's socks should be bought by a few hundred people who rent them out at £50 a week. And then half the socks can be full of damp, with millions of people under 30 having to share their parents' socks. And if anybody suggests reducing the sock rent, the Sock Renting Association can scream... This will ruin our incentive to own socks. I mean, it's the poor sods whose feet are going to be ruined, who I feel sorry for. The COP26 climate change conference is taking place in Glasgow this week. One newspaper described it as the last chance to save the planet. It's a threat so serious that it affects each and every one of us enormously, especially this woman who I overheard talking in a cafe the other day. Well, I heard Richard Madeley on Good Morning Britain talking to a scientist who said that Greenland is becoming warm and all the ice is melting, and it's an absolute disaster, because now there's this huge conference in Glasgow to stop it happening, which is awful, because we've just bought a holiday home in Greenland as it was ever so cheap. And Tara at the spin class said it would be ideal for a weekend break in the sun once it warms up and all the polar bears have died off, because, well, frankly, they're a nightmare, and I can't think why they haven't got rid of them all already. And they have these husky dogs, so once the glaciers have melted, they won't have to spend all day pulling sledges, which is cruel, frankly, and Nectarine wants one as a pet anyway. So we ended up buying two houses so we could rent one out to Eskimos. Well, it'd be foolish not to as it pays for itself. And now this COP26 nonsense is threatening all our plans. And we need a second holiday home because Colin is head of marketing for Pringles across the whole of the Rygate area, which is ever so stressful. And we did have another holiday home in the Pacific Islands, but, well, now it's underwater. And I said to our little man who looks after it, I said, why can't you mop it up? And he said, the sea levels are rising. Well, someone ought to do something about that. But that's the trouble these days, isn't it? It's just me, me, me. Excuse me, are these coffee beans locally sourced? Because I want the ones that have flown out from Brazil. What the fuck is going on? It has become one of my favourite parts of the week to look at the messages that get sent into the uh, WTF is going on pod Twitter account to ask what the fuck is going on. For example... Jamie Renton says, What the fuck is going on with bigots getting all aerated about presenters on the BBC being allowed to wear white poppies? I thought white was their favourite colour. Yes, very good point, Jamie. There is something marvellous about the fact that it gets to about three days earlier each year before people go, Why aren't you wearing a poppy? You should be wearing a poppy. Why was there a programme where they weren't wearing a poppy? Well, it was a repeat of Casablanca. Yeah, well, they should make it all again with Humphrey Bogart being dug up and have a poppy stuck on him. 
have to say the one time I ever replied to any of these people on Twitter was Katie Hopkins because she wrote on Twitter about this time of year, I called my daughter Poppy, so I'll remember, will you? And I did reply to her. I put, yeah, that's why I've got three kids and I called a mud trench and mustard gas. Martin Savage, his take of four, says, it's all right suddenly saying you can grow concrete, but not all of us are rich enough to have a concretarium to do it in. That's a very, very good point. In the recent revelations that concrete is something that grows. Indeed, the fact that it grows means that I think there will now be a number of questions on Gardener's Question Time about this. They'll be saying, uh, and there's a question here from Lisa from Nantwich, and she says, my concrete just doesn't seem to be growing lately, no matter how much I water it, and it hasn't been attracting bees. It's not flowering at all. Should I repot it somewhere? Have the panel got any ideas? And they'll all have to discuss where to put a, a bit of concrete. I think the thing is, if you're trying to grow concrete, don't get too much. Just get two or three cement mixers full. Don't try and get a whole motorway. It's too much for one person if you're trying to grow it. Matthew Edwards, Matty P48, says, Your last episode got me thinking. Post-Brexit Britain needs trade deals. MPs need protection. Colombia needs rid of its hippos. Why don't we do a trade deal with Colombia to give every MP a protection hippo? Added bonus Prime Minister's questions becomes much more interested. It's marvellous. You can see the Prime Minister, the hippo, the deal with the, the, the best deal that is, we have the finest hippos in the country and uh, another marvellous, uh, uh, the, um, the, the, the hippo deal that we have. And, and there's not enough hippos in Britain's high streets. I think we can all agree on that. Thank you so much for all those marvellous messages. What the fuck is so, it is possible that I do other things apart from this podcast, and it is possible that you can come along to those things if you wish. For example, the in-town shows are being recorded in Blythe, Walthamstow and Whitby, which... One listener commented, sounds like three possible names for modern kids. But that's where we're going over the next three weeks. So if you go on the BBC Ticket Unit website or something like that, then you can get tickets for those. I'm doing live shows round and about somewhere. If you put Mark Steele Tour in a googly thing, you'll be able to find where they are. And also, on peut acheter des billets pour mes premiers spectacles en français, janvier prochain, la Museum of Comedy, uh, la Comédia, Brighton, Keska Lenike Sapasi. Now, with us, we have someone who is going to be absolutely essential if we're going to find out what the fuck is going on. Luckily, in order that I can work this out, I have bred someone who can enlighten us as to what the younger generation think. Elliot Steele. Hello. Good day to you. Now, first of all, you've got some things you'd like the, the good people of the podcast community to know that you're doing. Yeah, I will be at Top Secret Comedy Club doing my own show on the 11th of November. Tickets are on their website. And uh, my next other solo show is in the Leicester Comedy Festival on the 10th of February. Tickets available on the Leicester Comedy website. Go on there, type in my name or follow me on Twitter or Instagram where I put the links up all the time at ElliotSteelCom. 
Or on TikTok, but none of you will do that because you've probably got self-respect. Yeah, or you could just go along there now and wait three months for it to happen. Yeah, you could do that. Now, we need to discuss the matter of internet-y things mm. because Facebook is changing its name and some people are very uh, cross about this. What the fuck is going on? They're, yeah, they're changing their name to Meta. Right. And Mark Zuckerberg's gone, oh, I've made this weird little creepy advert where he, he was, like, floating in space, like, and he was, like, in, like, Ready Player One or something. Like, he's floating around chatting with everyone. And it's so scripted, the advert, as well. You, like, there's even a joke where someone's a robot, and Mark Zuckerberg goes, I thought I was meant to be the robot. But you can hear in his voice, he doesn't even understand. He is, like, the Turing test. Do you know what I mean? That is, Mark Zuckerberg is the Turing test. That's what he is. What do you mean? So, the, I think it's the Turing test. is the, It's basically, like, if a robot convinces... If an AI system convinces a person that it's a real human, it therefore it is. I think he's a robot that convinced some people he's real. Oh, you've cracked it. That's it. So, but now this is his, his system is now changing like it does. You know, like when you get a software installation update thing that's enforced upon you, that's probably what's happened to his system. Yeah. That it's gone tonight, you will be updated to Meta. And he's gone, oh shit, I better tell the world we're going to become Meta. And that's what's happened. It's a software update. That's what's happening. And the only person who's completely fallen for it is Nick Clegg. Well, what's Nick Clegg done? What's he got to do with Facebook? He's the spokesperson for Facebook, Nick Clegg. That's a terrible choice. He shouldn't be the spokesperson for anything. No. He's awful. I don't even mean as a human being. I just mean <laughs> that whatever it is he's doing, he's bad at it. Yeah. He just, he's really bad. Do you reckon he lied on his CV and it's gone, <laughs> they've actually fucking given it to me? Like, you know, when you just lie in an interview. Because I once sent uh, a job application. I saw there was an opening for Head of Shell in Jakarta. And I just sent an application, just, <laughs> just wondering how far up the thing I'd get if I lied. What a terrible appointment that is. That's the Roy Hodgson coming England manager of the Facebook world, that, <laughs> it? That's like, ooh, that's not who we want. Yeah, well, the next England manager will be Vince Cable. All ex-liberal leaders are just going to get jobs that they're totally, totally unqualified for. The head of NASA will be Joe Swinson. Yeah. But it, Mark Zuckerberg's such an odd-looking boy, isn't he? He's not a man, he's a boy. He's a billionaire, but he's a boy. Do you know what I mean? Yes. Maybe he's done the thing that they're always trying to do and not age. Because that, traditionally, that's what very, very rich people have become obsessed with. Because mm. the one thing that they can't control as they become rich is the ageing process. You know, there's a famous painting in the Holbein picture where the very rich people of the 16th century have all these sort of things they've acquired. The dance macabre. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then underneath the table is the skull. So you can't fight that off, yeah. mate. And hundreds of years ago, they're still doing that. But, mate, Mark Zuckerberg has found a way of doing that. It wouldn't surprise me. Yeah. Because all you need to stop the aging process, because the aging process is just the replication of cells, isn't it? So it's like your cells die, but they replicate, and then the ones that replicate are worse off, and that's what aging is. So if you stop the replication of cells, you can stop the aging process and possibly, like, have immortality. I must be honest, when we started doing this podcast, I never anticipated that, as a byproduct of it, we would be able to come up with a formula that made people immortal. Well, I, that's not my own personal formula. I didn't figure that out myself. I watched a YouTube video on it. <laughs> is there one? Have you put how to make yourself immortal into Google? Is that what pops up? Some little Asian kid who goes over the top with the graphics on YouTube. and goes, hey, what's up? It's your boy. I'm going to be showing you how to make immortal today. And all of that stuff. Come on. We've got to follow these seven like steps. Like and subscribe. And so just get to the fucking point. I always find that with those videos. Do you ever like read a recipe online? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. No, I've done you, that. They're telling you like, 
oh, I first had this on an autumn day. And it's like, kill yourself. I don't care. Yes, I know that. I don't quite have your levels of anger with it. But is this all the fault of Mark Zuckerberg as well? He started all this sort of thing, did he? I think Mark Zuckerberg's got a little bit more blood on his hands than making me have to read an extra paragraph when trying to learn how to make a cheesecake. But I think we've, I feel much, much more enlightened. And I think unusually in these chats, I think you've learned something today. Well, I've learned that Nick Clegg is the spokesperson for Meta for some reason. Thank you so much for enlightening us as to what the fuck is going on, Mr. Elliot Steele. What the fuck is going on? Thank you so much for listening to this podcast. If you've liked it, please subscribe, then rate it, and if you can be bothered, write a review. If you can't be bothered, definitely write a review. We now have a website, whatthefisgoingonpodcast.co.uk. And if there is anything at all that you think I should be finding out what the fuck is going on with it, please send me a message on Twitter at WTF is going on pod and we'll do our best to look at all the messages that you send. We will look at all the messages that you send. That's a promise. What the Fuck is Going On was hosted by me, Mark Steele, with my guests Miles Jupp and Elliot Steele. Voices by Sarah Alexander and Pete Sinclair. It was written by Mark Steele, James Serafinowicz and Pete Sinclair. Music by Willie Dowling. Produced and edited by Scott and Matt at Podmonkey. What the Fuck is Going On is a co-production between Podmonkey and Consec Industries.